You know, our hearts are heavy as we, as we consider all that's going on. We look at the school shooting in Florida and look at the brokenness and, and heartache that we see there. We, we wonder what in the world is going on. I spent some time this past week visiting with, with one of our educators here in town, and she was talking about the difficulties and the challenges that, that children and youth in our community face. And one of the challenges that she spoke of, she said many of these children feel like their life has no value. And as I reflected on, on those words, it was just heartbreaking to think that kids could look at their lives as if their lives were purposeless, as if their lives were even worthless. Talked about the number who, uh, of children who involved in self-harm and other kinds of destructive behaviors. It just broke my heart. Is this the way that life is? That nothing really matters. We just sort of go our own way, doing what we can, but in the final analysis, nothing really does matter. There really is no purpose. Well, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, as we think together about these questions, as we think together about the reason for living. As we continue our series through the book of Philippians, you'll remember that this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. It was written to encourage that church to remain faithful. It was a good and solid church, yet it too had problems. It had some trouble with division and, and uh, disunity. Let's pick up in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence But even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. By holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. This text teaches that you should live to reveal Christ's light to a dark world. You should live to reveal Christ's light to a dark world. So we ask the question, does our life have a purpose? Well, if we're in Christ, the clear purpose of our life is to know Him and to make Him known, to shine. So the question, does our life have a purpose? Well, as we look just in this passage of Scripture, the answer is a resounding yes. Absolutely. Well, how do we reveal the light of Christ? Well, let's look in verses 12 and 13 as we think about this question together. Now, in chapter 2, you'll remember that Paul is focused on the unity uh, of the church at Philippi. And in verses 5 through 11, the, the verses immediately preceding the ones that we're looking at this morning, Paul had told the Philippians, you ought to have the same attitude as Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? Well, he was God, and, and he left heaven 
And he came to earth as a man. And he followed his father's will all the way to the cross. He obeyed God to death on a cross. And so in verse 12, Paul says, therefore. And he's connecting these previous verses with what he's about to say. So because Jesus obeyed, therefore, brothers and sisters in Philippi, you too need to obey. Now it's important to note there in verse 12 that these are dear friends of Paul's. He's not some consultant writing to the church at Philippi from afar. No, he is a close friend of the Philippians. He's walking alongside them. He cares for them. They they matter to him. In verse 12, Paul instructs the Philippians to work out your own salvation. Now, that sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? I thought we're saved by God's grace. I didn't think we worked for our salvation. But let's look closely at what Paul has written. Let's look at what he has written, and let's look at what he hasn't written here. He says, work out your salvation. He did not say, work for your salvation. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference between those two. Let's think more about this. Let's consider another place where Paul wrote directly about the question at hand. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Paul said this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So, so what's Paul saying? Paul's saying that no one is saved by being good. Sometimes we have this idea that if we just sort of stack up our good works, you know, I'll do this and I'll do that, and we'll, we'll uh, at the end of time, when we stand before the Lord, we'll be fine because we'll have such a great mound of good works. But Scripture says that's crazy. Our good works could never make us good enough to appear before a God who is completely pure and holy. So Paul isn't saying that we need to work for our salvation. He's saying we need to work out our salvation. What does that mean? Well, that means that because we've been saved, because we know Jesus, because we have received his grace, then now we need to live a particular way. Our lives need to begin to change, and we need to become more and more like Jesus. So once we claim to have come to know Jesus, once we we say, you know what, I put my faith in Christ, I called out to him, and I was saved, then at that point, the Lord is saying, then there needs to be a change in your life where you begin to become more and more Christ-like. It's not that we're saved by becoming Christ-like, it's that because we're saved, we're going to work toward becoming more like him The Bible often calls this to become sanctified. That is to change and to become more and more holy. And it's a progression. We slowly become more and more like Jesus. And and that's the way that it's supposed to work. So Paul's telling the Philippians here, you put effort into becoming more like Jesus. Notice the words that he uses there in verse 12, with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. What do those words mean? Well, clearly they're words that, that carry gravity. Something that puts fear in you is serious. Something that, that would cause you to tremble. Well, this is a big deal. So Paul is saying that once you know Jesus, becoming like Christ is not an optional add-on. You know, like you would say, well, I, I do want cruise control or I do want power windows. No, it's not an optional add-on. Once you come to know Jesus, it's serious that you become more and more like him. This is the expectation Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It must be of greatest concern that you become more like Jesus. Verse 13 sheds more light on the question that that we ask from verse 12. 
Are we saved by our good works or are we saved by God? Which is it? And verse 13 says that it's God who is at work in us. That that God is at work in us. He's the one that's working. So we're not saved by our own works. We're saved because God is at work. He's at work to shape our will. What's our will? Well, that's the part of us that makes decisions, that chooses this or, or that chooses that. The scriptures here tell us that he's at work in our, on our will. He's striving to shape our will, our, our longings, our desires. He's working to shape not just our will, but, but the way that we act, the way that we live, so that our lives begin to line up more and more with the kind of life that a person who follows Jesus ought to live. He is helping you. You're not on your own when it comes to to becoming more like Jesus. This is wonderful news. And friend, if you long to become more like Jesus, if there's something in your heart that says, you know what, I want to know him, I want to be close to him, I want to follow him, that's already the evidence of God's hand at work in your life. And if you want to know him and you want to follow him, this scripture reminds us that he's going to help you do that. That he's going to be at work to help you. So as we think about verses 12 and 13, how do we reveal the light of Christ? Well, we become more and more like Jesus. We become more and more like Jesus. That's how we reveal the light of Christ. One author compared our becoming more and more like Jesus to to a farmer. Now a farmer, if if he wants a crop, a farmer is going to have to go out and plow and plant, maybe fertilize. But ultimately, a farmer can do all of those things, and it will not guarantee in harvest. Because you see, the farmer's dependent upon God for the seed to germinate. He's dependent upon God for the the plant to grow. He's dependent upon God for the rain to fall. And if those things don't happen as much work as the farmer puts into it, it will not count. But on the other hand, if the farmer says, well, it's all of God, I, I have no responsibility, and he doesn't plow and he doesn't plant, there will be no harvest. And so what you see is that farming is a joint effort. The farmer does his work and does what he can, but ultimately he's dependent upon the hand of God. And our becoming more like Jesus is like that. We, we don't automatically just become like Jesus. We, we've got to plow and we've got to plant. But in the end, our plowing and planting can't help us become like Jesus. We're dependent upon the hand of God to work in our our ornery wills and our stubborn will to work and to shape our lives when when we want to go our own way. We're dependent upon God to help us. And so like a farmer works and depends on God when it comes to our holiness, we too, we strive to plant and to plow and to do the things that will help us become like Jesus. But in the end, we're wholly dependent upon God to work in our lives. So let's think about what this looks like in our lives applied. Well, first, it leaves us asking a question. Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? If you're a Christian, are you becoming more and more like him? Is the way that you talk, is it shaped by by the Lord? In other words, are your words encouraging? You build people up with your words. Your words are pure. They're they're, they're words that would cause people to think good things and right things. Well, could it be said that your words are filled with with filth and with things that are cutting and harmful? You see, when we're becoming more like Jesus, our words ought to be shaped. 
Our attitudes. Does your attitude reveal that you're a person who's blown away by the fact that an amazing God has rescued you marvelously by His grace? Is that apparent in your attitude? Or is your attitude more of one that's just sour and cold? You see, as we become more like Jesus, all of life should change. Our actions ought to begin to line up with what Scripture says we should be and do. It's not that we'll always do the right thing. We're going to sin. We, we mess up. But when we do, when our actions don't line up, we go and we ask forgiveness and we try to make things right. Is your perspective on life shaped by Scripture? What, what, you, what you believe about the big questions of life, is that shaped by Scripture? Well, as we grow in Him more and more, our perspective on life is going to be shaped by, by the Word. And here's the deal. When we are shaped by Christ, then our lights begin to shine. They begin to shine. They begin to, to, to glow, to illumine the, the folks who are around us. And what I mean by that is when we walk in holiness, when we walk in integrity, that's compelling to people. When people know that, that you're a woman of your word, or that you're a man who's going to do what's right, well, that's compelling. That, that, that shines bright. When people know that you're a person whose life is filled with joy and with hope, well, well that causes them to go, where do you get that? Where, do, where does that joy, that hope come from? Because when I look around, I don't see that. I don't get that. So is your life that ray of hope, that ray of Christ-filled hope in the life of another? If we're called to be like Jesus, the question is, how do we become more like him? What's our part? How do we plant and plow and fertilize? How do we do that? Well, the scriptures are clear. There's some basic things that can help us grow in our walk with the Lord Jesus. One is to read the Bible every day. Do you read the Bible every day? Do you take time and you clear the calendar? You clear all these other things that are coming at you, pulling at your attention, and do you make time to be with the Lord? Well, if you're going to grow in him and become more like Jesus, this is the way you plow. This is the way you plant. You read the word. And I don't mean you, you read the word so you can check it off and go, well, I did what I was supposed to do. I mean, you read the word saying to God, God, I'm going to read this and I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to become more like you. And so you read the word with that heart and you make time to do it every day. You spend good time in prayer every day. You Commit to be in church. And you say, you know what? Being in church is going to be a part of the rhythm of my life. I'm going to say no to other things because being with other believers and gathering and worship together and gathered around the, the word together is important. Scripture says very important. And I'm going, to, I'm going to change the rhythms of my life so that I can be in church regularly because it will help me know you. Jesus, it will help me become more like you. Having another brother or two to hold you accountable if you're a man or another lady or two to, to help you along and to hold you accountable if you're a woman. Finding ways to serve and, and to share the gospel with others. All of these are things that can help you become more like Jesus. All of them are ways to plow and to plant. Now, as we mentioned earlier in verse 12, Paul says that you should work out your salvation. You should plow and plant with fear and trembling. And I can't help but say that Paul wouldn't be impressed with the whole host of excuses that we come up with for why we can't read the Bible every day, for why we can't make good time for prayer, for why we can't be in church. I don't think that most of the excuses that we come up with would, would measure up to this notion of fear and trembling. I think the Apostle Paul would say to us, you know what, you need to, you need to make some other adjustments, you need to make some changes. 
make a way to be in the Word every day. Not excuses, but with fear and trembling, make a change. Plow the land, plant the seed. You see, God requires our investment and our sanctification. So we see that we're called to become more like Jesus. But how does God help us do that? Well, in verse 13, we've already said that God is at work to, to help us. He works on our wills. So one of the things that we ought to pray is, God, help me to long for you. Help me to want you. Shape my stubborn will. And and it says in verse 13 that he helps us to act according to his good purpose. He helps us to do what's right, to live in a way that pleases him. So we ought to say, God, I pray that you would shape my life and help me to do what's right. Help me to be the kind of man that you want me to be, the kind of lady that, that you want me to be. Are you struggling or apathetic when it comes to your walk with the Lord? Ask him to help you change. Ask him for a, a new desire. Listen, if you belong to him, he wants to work in your life. He's working to, to shape you. He's already at work if you belong to him. You plow, you plant. Friend, he'll germinate. He'll bring the rain. He'll cause the plant to grow. So to shine bright for Christ, become more like Jesus. Become more like him. How else do we shine bright? Well, let's look at verses 14 and following. In verse 14, Paul tells the Philippian church to do everything without grumbling or arguing. Notice the word everything. That's the one that makes this passage so hard. Do everything. Everything. Oh, Lord, not this. This too? Yes, Paul's saying do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, interesting, the word that Paul uses for grumble here This is the only time the word appears in any of Paul's writings. But when you go back to the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament that many of these guys would have been using, you're going to find this very same word. Guess when? Back when the people of Israel left Egypt and they're in the wilderness. And what are they constantly doing? They're constantly grumbling and complaining. And the very same word that Paul uses here, not a common word, is used there. And it's as if Paul is saying to the Philippians, don't make the same mistake that your spiritual ancestors made. Don't be a people who complain and gripe about everything. Do we not recognize that complaining is really an indictment against God? Because God is sovereign over our lives. So as we face different life circumstances, when we complain and gripe, we're really saying to God, you can't seem to get things right. You are not for me. He says, don't just avoid grumbling, but avoid arguing. Now, The Philippian church was clearly a good church, but this was their Achilles heel. There was some kind of an argument and problem going on. We think from Philippians 4, there were two ladies that that had an issue, and maybe that was affecting the broader congregation. We don't know for sure, but clearly this was their problem. Right here, arguing. And Paul says, no complaining, no arguing. Now, what do both of these have in common? Both of these share the fact that they come from a selfish heart. Because I complain. Why? Because things aren't going the way I want them to go. And things are supposed to go my way. And I argue, well, because I've got a perspective and I want to set you straight and help you figure out the way it really is. So, so, so I'm going to argue. 
because I want to demand my own way. Both reveal selfishness. And over and over, Paul calls the Philippians to sacrifice, not to be selfish. In verse 15, Paul tells the Philippians to be blameless. That is to be without fault. He tells them to be pure. That is to be morally clean. He says they need to be children of God who are faultless. He reiterates that idea. What is Paul saying? He's saying to the Philippians, I want you to live your life in such a way, in such a way that when people look at you, they can't see any reason to go, you know what? She's not the real deal. They can't see any reason to say, you know what? He's a game. It's a game. He says one thing, he does another. He says, live the kind of life that makes people go, huh, that's genuine. That's real. Help them to see. He says in verse 15 also that you should live this way in the midst of a crooked generation, a depraved generation. That is, a people who were turned away from God, a people who were turned in the opposite direction of God, who were going their own way. You've got to live this kind of pure life in the midst of that kind of deep darkness. That's a challenge, to not become like the darkness, but instead to be a great contrast to the darkness. Because everything in our society pushes us to have a me-centered attitude, pushes us to say, hey, it's all about what I want. And Paul's saying, no, your life can't be characterized by selfishness. Everything in our world pushes us to impurity and to things that are filthy and wrong. But Paul says, no, be, be pure, be blameless. Be a great contrast to the darkness that you see. He says, shine like the star in the midst of the darkness. Shine out bright. Be different. You be the light. Let your purity shine. Let your sacrificial love shine. And then people will see the vivid difference between a life of following Christ and a life that's characterized by the world. You see, the darkness is so dark that when the light shines, it is that much brighter. So the Apostle Paul is saying, shine out, shine bright for the Lord Jesus. Now in verse 16, he encourages the Philippians to hold firm to the word of life. Well, the word of life is the gospel. It's the teaching that God left heaven and he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. And he was violently nailed to a cross, shedding his blood and ultimately giving his very life. And he did that so that you and me who are guilty in sin can have our sins wiped away. He was buried and he came back to life. And Paul says, if you're going to shine like the stars, you've got to hold fast to the word of life. You've got to hold fast to the gospel. Don't lose the gospel. In verse 16, Paul says, if you Philippians will follow what I'm saying one day when I stand before the Lord, when I have ran my race, I'll be able to say, look at the faith of the Philippians. Look at how they were were faithful. That's that's evidence of, of my gospel labor, Paul says, and it will fill me with joy. And he invites them in verse 18 to also be filled with joy in the furtherance of the gospel. And Paul says in verse 18, my life's being poured out like a drink offering for you. I'm sorry, in verse 17, my life's being poured out. In other words, I'm sacrificing my life for for your faith. And he says, this should bring us joy that the gospel advances. So how do we shine bright? Well, we said first we shine bright when we become more 
and more like Jesus. But as we think about verses 14 through 18, we shine bright when we do not get sidetracked by our selfishness. When we do not get sidetracked by our selfishness. There was a little boy who was eating in a restaurant with his parents. And he had gone over to one of those big stuffed toy machines with the claw, the arcade style. He wanted to get a stuffed toy. And this was an extra large machine with big animals. So he was trying to get one of those animals and he didn't get it. And I guess the parents had kind of turned their, their, their back for a moment. And he climbed up into that machine like through the way that the animals are dispensed, the stuffed animals, he climbed up into it and he was inside of that arcade like claw machine trap. Now, what would have been funny is if someone would have put money, well, anyways. Um, <laughs> so they called, just kidding. They called the, the I'm probably going to be in trouble for that one later. Okay, so they called the, the fireman. The fireman came. They, they opened this machine. They rescued the little boy. Machine had minimal damage, no, no big deal. It was, it was a good outcome. They even gave him a toy. Um, not sure that was the best, but anyways. Um, but you know what? That little boy got so focused on getting a stuffed animal, on getting what he wanted, that it caused him to do something that shouldn't have been done. It caused him to, to climb up into that machine. But you know what? Sometimes we get so focused on what we want on our own desires and our own needs, that it causes us to act in ways we should never act, causes us to behave in ways that we should never behave. And Paul is saying this can't be true among those who belong to Jesus. We can't live those kinds of lives. You see, in a church where there's selfishness, the witness of that church is going to be harmed. The light in a church where there's a lot of selfishness is going to be very dim, if you understand what I mean. So how do we respond to these verses? Well, first, we need to avoid complaining and griping. And, you know, this one is man, it's convicting to me. We need to avoid complaining and griping. It's just another form of selfishness. We want the world to go our way, and when it doesn't, we want to tell the world about it. It's not anything that causes our light to shine. It's a surefire way to look more like the night than the light. What else? We need to avoid arguing. We, we need to avoid arguing. Arguing prevents the kind of unity that helps the church shine bright. Arguing is often, again, as we've said, just an outworking of our own selfish desires. Now, don't misunderstand me. We must stand firm on, on gospel truths. Paul even says that we must hold firm to the word of life. And, and in Galatians 1.8, for example, Paul speaks of remaining steadfast to the gospel. So there are core Christian truths that we can't compromise on. Paul's not talking about that here. He's talking about the kind of arguments over silly things, over selfish things. He's talking about looking for arguments, looking for ways to cause division. If we want to be a church that looks a lot more like the night than the light, then we'll be a church filled with silly arguments over things that are absolutely inconsequential. We'll argue and bicker about things that are foolish and the lights will grow dimmer. We will not be shining the light of Christ as we think of, of applying these scriptures in our lives, we also ought to say that each one of us ought to seek to live a blameless and pure life. A life that couldn't be accused of selfishness or a life that couldn't be accused of, of being filled with sin and filth. Seek to live faultless in the way you treat others. 
seek to, to, to put others ahead of yourselves. These things that, that the scriptures say over and over. You see, the world is dark. And if we're not careful, the world will lull us gently, carefully, right into its mold. We'll be talking the way the world talks. We'll be living the way the world lives. And friends, it must not be that way among those who claim the name of the Lord Jesus. Instead of becoming like this broken and dark world, no, we want to shine like the stars bright. I want you to to imagine for a moment that you're sitting in a dark and a remote place, a place where there's absolutely no artificial light. And as you gaze out into the night sky, you see countless stars. You're fascinated and blown away by the sheer number of stars that you can see, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, many burning so bright and others barely noticeable. And as you stare into the deep dark of the night, you're absolutely overwhelmed as you take in each sparkling star. Now, I want you for a moment to set your eyes on one particular star that seems to be shining especially bright in the darkness of night. And friend, God is calling you to be that star. God is calling you to shine bright like that, to to help people see who Jesus is. You see, there are people that God has placed in your life People who are hurting, who are struggling, who are alone, who desperately need some hope, who desperately need to see that there's a reason to live, that there's purpose for life. And friend, you could be the one who helps them find hope and helps them find life. What that person needs to see is that in the midst of the darkness, there is light. In the midst of the darkness, there is hope. Will you be that star? Will you shine bright that other people might come to know the Lord Jesus and have life and hope and joy? So live to reveal Christ's love and light to a dark world. For those of you who are believers... I ask you, are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you becoming more like him? If not, why not? What change do you need to make? What do you need to do in terms of plowing and and sowing? You see, when, when you love him, you'll bring light into the darkness. So let's shine his love and his light. Don't be dim. Brother or sister, instead shine. Shine bright. Burn bright. Some of you who are here today are not believers. There's never been a time in your life where you've, you've come to know Jesus. You've trusted in him and been saved. Maybe you've felt the pain of wondering if life counts, if it matters at all. Maybe you know the feeling of despair all too well. Well, I want you to know there's one who loves you more than you could ever imagine. You see, Jesus came to this earth to make a way for you to be saved. What do you need to do to be saved today? You could call out to him in simple faith. You you say to him, God, I've sinned, I've messed up, but I believe Jesus came and lived and died and came back to life, and I want to follow him. And the Bible says that when you call out to God like that, he saves you, and he'll never, ever let you go, and he gives you life. He makes life count.
He gives life true purpose, eternal purpose. Won't you find life and hope today? Join me in prayer.